Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. And hey, be sure to leave a review to help others find this podcast. Hi, Miss Bernita. Hi, Julie. This is Bernita. I forgot to ask how to pronounce your last name. Bo. B-O-W-E is Bo. Yes. All right. And we uh, scheduled this interview a while back, and she has a, a little set of identity losses. And so we're just going to jump in and you can jump in wherever you want to tell your story. And I will be interrupting you along the way to try to get more information as far as it relates to how your different challenges in life and journeys relate to changing identities and the struggle in particular of when you were sort of floundering. So, Julie, um, thank, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. I think my identity losses started when I was in school. Um, when I was in school, I was really, really, really skinny. Really As a little skinny. girl, little girl school. No, from, from little girl school all the way up to high school. Okay. I was just skinny, really, really, really skinny, but I had big feet. <laughs> so that didn't really match, like. When I got to high school, I think I was 85 pounds when I got to high school. So I was a whole lot smaller before then. And I was only 5'2". So I was 5'2", with big feet and really skinny. You you can imagine what that looks like. And I was bullied a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot. You know, when I got to high school, not as much. Because when we got to high school, everybody was in their own thing, doing their own thing. But from from elementary school through middle school through junior high, I was bullied a lot. And because of that, I, you know, tried to fit in, you know, where I could get in. Um, I did a lot of things to try to fit in because I wanted to be a part of something. And I wasn't. I was never a part of something. So they they bullied to exclude you because you were different, because they they thought you were different because of how you looked. Yes. And then you were this person living in your body. And then you started people pleasing really early is what it sounds like. I did. I did. I wanted to fit in um, because I was not a part of anything, any group, any activity, you know, you know, you know, the one that's always the last one picked or not picked at all. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how I was every recess from kindergarten through fifth grade because I was a girl wanting to play on the boys in the boys games and so they picked me last and and I had to beat them up for for them to even pick me at all so yeah I know about being excluded and and for dumb reasons right 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 because you had what did I do nothing like nothing (laughs) so then I that that just led to a whole lot of stuff led to me not feeling worthy led to you know not knowing my value led to codependency led to a whole lot of stuff that led into my adult life Mm -hmm. um so 
I got married very young. I think I was 22, maybe. Um, and shouldn't have, knew, knew that I should not be getting married, but I did it anyway. And I got married to a man who was also broken. He was just torn. Not a bad guy at all, just torn. And stayed in a relationship too long, 24 years before so hold, I got out. Hold on. So here you are, you're this, you're this girl that's been bullied and trying everything you can to fit in. Then you find some guy and decide to marry him against your better wisdom. And so what was that? How did all that happen in your brain? Because, How, because you were betraying yourself basically. Yes, but when you have a need to be needed, all that other stuff goes in the background. So I was a very needed person at one point in my life. I wanted to be needed, you know, mm -hmm. that all came stem from, you know, just not being able to fit in or not being wanted. So I felt like, and I wanted to be needed and he needed to be needed. So we needed each other. You know what I mean? So the, um, now, now you know what the name of this is? It's called trauma bonding. Yes, it, it definitely was. But here's what happened, Julie. I lost so much of myself in that marriage and I gave so much of myself to him that it has taken me years to recover because I didn't really want to be there, but I was there. He didn't really want to be there, but wouldn't leave. So we, we were just miserable with each other. So, uh, so you say you lost so much of yourself. So list off these things that you lost. I used to be real courageous. I used to be, had a lot of confidence. I used to be brave. I used to speak my mind. Right. You know? All those things, you know, they were just gone. I got them back now. Oh, I'm good now. Good. But then, you know, they were just gone. It was like he just tore me down because he was so miserable. He didn't want to be there. He just tore me down because I was the one in that space with him. So if he's going to beat on anybody, it's going to be me. And he never physically hit on me or anything like that. But his words were really, you know, verb, verb verbally abusive. Verbal um, and emotional abuse. And emotional, Yeah. And just tore me down and i'm and i expect i probably said some things to him too you know in retaliation and things like that because you can't be in a relationship that long and not so but but we weren't good for each other we had three beautiful children but we weren't good for each other um and so finally after 24 years of marriage that marriage ended so during this time like did you did you lose that courageous self-determined identity like really fast or was it sort of invisible over time it was invisible over time and, like, and when did you recognize that you weren't the same person so here it is um after about seven or eight years in i knew i should leave the marriage but i didn't because i didn't one i didn't have the courage to do so two i really didn't know my words and three, I was so involved with everything else that was going on in the marriage with the children and everything and what they had to do and everything until I was trying to focus on that and save a marriage that never should have happened in the first place. What do you mean you didn't know your words? My worth, worth. Oh, your worth. Okay, yes. sorry. Yes. All right, so in seven years, you went from, so even though you were bullied, you still knew your worth. Isn't that, isn't that, strange as kids we can have a lot of abuse and still know our worth 
But then yeah, some, because somehow because, we, because you know you know that you're worthy, you know that you're worthy, you know that you've got something, but you just can't fight that thing that's attacking you. You know what I mean? Right. You mean as a little kid? Yeah. Yeah. But then as adults, kid, you know, just, we grow up and, and somehow we we forget that we're worthy. It's, it's so it's, it's strange because I think you, I think you, it's because we live we live with trauma works so funny. And you know that once once you're traumatized by something or have something that happens in your life that traumatizes you, it changes your perspective. That's on, for sure on life and it changes you to a place where even though you knew your worth and you know it's still there, you're just not confident enough in it, you know? Yeah, and or and also we have these defense mechanisms and what I would do is I would dissociate and I would watch myself from the ceiling above doing and saying things I didn't want or not doing and saying things I did want and I'd be watching myself from up here, knowing that wasn't me and just waiting for me to get out of it, you know, and then, then I would take care of myself because we can't always, I mean, in retrospect, we're like, you know, I should have just done something different. And in reality, in the moment, we're doing the best we can. And, and you know what, Julie, to hear you say that, I would say things that I said I was going to say when he got home. I'll say, when he gets home, I'm just going to tell him this, this, this. And he get home and I wouldn't say a word. Wouldn't say a word. Wouldn't do a thing. Wouldn't go right back into that space that I've been living in and just stay there, you know? So you were, you were trained to not make waves. Yeah. As a young child. Oh, in your family too? Because that's what I saw growing up. What did you see growing up? So, so that's what I saw growing up. So um, in my home growing up, I saw my mother just take a lot of stuff. Not like my daddy was abusive, but she would never really assert herself in any situation or anything. And so I saw that growing up. So that was your role in, model. That was my role model. That was, that was what I was used to seeing. So even though I was fighting to do something different, I couldn't pull it through. You know what I mean? Totally know what you mean. Yeah, my, my son complains that me and his dad weren't good role models for him in a relationship, and we weren't. Yeah, you know? oh, I, I, my children say the same thing, and I said, you're exactly right. We were not. Yeah. Yeah, and and we don't. And so the the good thing about now, this day and age, is that we can have awareness of how we are and then and there's so much information that we can learn how to choose and and respond differently if we pay attention and put the effort into it yeah we can we can but you gotta want to put in the work you gotta exactly. want to do the work first of all you gotta recognize you got a problem that well, you you, know. you have a problem right not you know. they but maybe they have a problem too but work on yourself yeah but you know what julie i knew i did I knew I, I, and I wasn't trying to place blame, you know, because you can spend your whole life placing blame, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to fix you, you got to fix you, right? right? So I knew I did, but I just wasn't confident enough, if that makes sense. 
to really muster up this drift to say, okay, now it's time to work on me. I got to fix me. I got to do well until and years later, because so much, so much was every time I thought I was going to get to that space where I'm going to do that, something else happened. Right. And, and when you are a mother and were you working outside the home too? I was a mother and I had a full-time job. So you had a lot of things going on that you couldn't just like kick back and, you know, pamper yourself. And I couldn't. And I was, and I was also, you know, a taxi mom. So I had children in band, <laughs> children playing sports, children in, uh, my daughter in dance, my daughter in drama. You know, I was here, there and everywhere every day of the week, you know? So it was a lot going on. So I, I had so much to occupy my time and my mind that I didn't really concentrate too much on anything else that needed to, you know, have my space. Nothing else could have my space because I didn't have room for it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just did that. And I did that until they got grown and were, were almost gone out of the house. Like, and we were divorced. Um, you know, I did that so long, um, but I'm back now. So what's the new Ms. Vernita? Oh, wow, man. Let me tell you about the but what's it. What's the Vernita 2.0? Because, because I know that you're not exactly as you were before, right? No, not at all. Not at all. So I got so much confidence now, Julie, I can lend you some. That's how okay. much confidence I have. <laughs> That's how much confidence I have. But you know, Julie, I so know how my did, words. And how did that happen? Uh, with a lot of things happening in life you get to a space and a place in your life where you've been beat down so much until you decide that it's not going to happen anymore there um, comes a moment yes there's there a line has been crossed yes line in the sand and there is no it's like what was is not gonna work anymore it's not gonna work anymore not for me not for me and i took I took a look back at my eight-year-old self when I had that confidence. I took a look mm. back and thought about me, you know, when I was young, I said, why am I now that I'm in my fifties, this year was a few years ago that I didn't have that confidence. Why don't I have it? Like what is stopping me from being that person again? Cause she's still inside. Right? Exactly. We so know. I decided that I that was going to be as bold. I was going to be as confident. I was going to be as authentic as I could be and do those things that I enjoy doing in life and love life, love living and help others to find their boldness, find their confidence, you know, find those things that that's hidden deep inside of them so that they can live an abundant life because it's out there to live, you know? And it's in us, the boldness and the confidence, because what baby does not come out bold and confident and really? sure of what they want? Really? I mean, you know, we're born with this, with this gift. We just lose it along the way. Life happens. Things happen. And sometimes some things ha happen that are more traumatic than others. And they take us to dark spaces and they take us to dark places and we lose our confidence. We lose our boldness. We lose, we, we don't lose it. We forget that we have it. We forget how to utilize it. We forget that we, we are great, you know, that we, we don't have to, that we are individuals, that nobody else can write our narrative but us. And we have got to write it and we've got to do it. But I mean, you get to a space where 
you get so low that you you don't want to go any lower you you'll turn it all around you'll turn it all around and you'll do those things that are great you know to help you get back to where you need to be so in retrospect is there a way that we can do it before getting to the lowest point you can do it um you can focus on yourself if you've got community around you, you know, mm -hmm. somebody to talk to and some people, you know, someone to, you know, help you with whatever you got going on. But I was not in that space. I was so, you know, I was, I'm also a recovering perfectionist too. So I was that person who wouldn't ask for help. You know, I got this, I can do this. I don't need any help. I'm going to, I'm going to, everything's going to work out. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to do all of this. And that coupled with everything else that was going on in my life kept me from seeking that help, kept me from telling anybody what was going on, kept me from even trying to work on me, you know? So once I got to a space where me was all I had and I had to work on me, and then it became, not that it became easier, but it became easier. What do you mean me was all I had? What is that? What is that point? Describe that a little more. I, I felt like I was in a world by myself, like totally alone. Um, you know, my children were gone. I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm not married. It's just me. I'm in this space by myself. You know, it's nobody else. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking here by myself because I won't ask anybody for help. I'm just, and I don't want, I don't like this space. I want to be back to my vibrant, my lovely, my laughing, my joyful self. And I need the help to do it. I mean, when you get to rock bottom and you feel, and you at that place where, you know, you just have to have some help and you cannot do alone and you want to live and you want to live, you'll reach out for help. You will now, reach out for help. What, what was it that made you, or, or what was it, what was going on that you didn't like who you were and needed to change? I was still that, that non-courageous, shy back and put back person you know that person who didn't act boldly that person who didn't assert her voice that person who didn't speak up you know when she needed to that person who really still didn't know her worth didn't know she had value didn't know that she mattered i was still that person with Even though you, was, you're out of the relationship, your kids out of the relationship, gone. but I had so much other stuff going on, Julie. I lost my son in 2018 oh. to a tragic car accident. Oh. My firstborn son. I mm. lost my other son to prison. Mm. I lost. I lost all three of my parents in a year, in less than a year. I had a lot going on. Oh, and and in those last three instances, I was also in school full time. So there was a lot going on, Julie, to where I put me on the backside. I put me in the back of my thinking, in the back of help, in the back of everything. Oh, I could help everybody else. I could help everybody else be as great as they wanted to be. And grace was extended to everybody else, but I was not worthy of their grace. See, that was my thinking, you know? Um, 
So, but I I got to a spot though where I was just really, really just sinking lower than I've ever been before. And I said to myself, I need some help. And I got- It, it, it took you to be underwater before you asked for help. It took me to be drowning. Drowning, not just drowning. underwater swimming, but drowning, sinking, drowning, drowning. And let me tell you what happened, Julie. So um, in 2020, my family got COVID. Hmm. Um, my sister thinks she got may have picked it up at work and she brought it home. She was taking care of my dad. We were caregivers for my dad. She was hmm. taking care of my dad at the time. And um, but she didn't know she had COVID, but she just started feeling sick. So she called my oldest sister to come get dad so I'm not able to take care of him I just don't feel well mm. and my oldest sister came and got my dad and kept him until she took him back to his house because my sister had him because the air was broken at his house and then we were getting it fixed mm. and so when the air came um, was fixed he went back home and my other sisters four of us went over and stayed with him for a while one day they called me and they said, dad's not doing well. So can you come by and check on him? And you know, there's always that one, right? That they call for everything. Yeah. That was me. I lived in North Carolina. They lived in Virginia. So I got in my car and I came, it took me about an hour. I got there and dad was sitting on the porch in the swing, just swinging. And I sat down and had a conversation with him. But after about 10 minutes, he was asleep. And I said, hmm. Maybe he's just tired. I said, I think he might be just tired, but he did it again. He slept for about 20 minutes and woke up and he did it again. I said, I don't think dad's getting enough oxygen. I said, I said, if he, he's not doing any better in the morning, you all watch him overnight, take him to the hospital. So they took him to the hospital and mm -hmm. found out that he had COVID. And that's mm -hmm. when we all found out that we had already been, you know, around it and we may have it too. So we all, you know, took the test. All of us ended up with COVID and my dad and I ended up in the hospital. Oh no. Yes. And um, oh, both on the ventilator. My dad didn't make it off the ventilator. He passed. Um, I was on the ventilator for 13 days. Oh, no, for 16 days, 13 days in a coma and three days off of the coma. And I, Julie, I was so sick at the point of death to where the doctors didn't know they were going to be able to save me. Kidney shut down, lungs shutting down, heart barely beating. No, I couldn't move anything on my own arms, legs, couldn't move my head, couldn't speak. Just mind just all over the place, just really gone. And they told your me- body, Your body's gone, but your mind is fully functioning. My mind is, it was functioning, but I didn't know it was functioning because I didn't have the thought to know that, if that okay. makes sense. So I couldn't comprehend anything they were saying to me. It was like I was in a fog. Um, so they told me that they had to put me on the ventilator. And, you know, they said, you know, they said, we don't know much about this disease, but we're going to do our best. To what month in 2020? July, you know, and so COVID real just early, toward the early. end of March. Yeah. So. I, it took me a year and a half, a whole year and a half to recover. Um, the first eight months to a year was rough, really, really rough. But when I thought 
I wasn't going to get off that ventilator, when I thought that that was the end for me, that changed my whole perspective on life and what I was going to do with it. The mortality moment, motivation. It, that's exactly what it was. Wow. And, and when I, when, when, when I, when, when at that 13th day, when my eyes opened and I, I attributed to God, that's who I believe in, touched me, opened my eyes. I couldn't talk, Julie. I couldn't open my mouth because I had the tube still in me and everything. <laughs> I couldn't move my arms and legs still. I didn't have the ability to move my head from one side to the other. <laughs> All I could do was cry. And tears came streaming down my face. Tears of joy, though. They were tears of joy. And I knew at that moment that this part of my life was going to be totally different from anything that I've ever lived from before. here forward. It's going to be fire. It's going to be so good. So hold on. So you were sinking before you got COVID. Oh, yes. Your son. What happens to a mother's identity when a son dies or gets locked up in prison? So, Julie, you go through this, these stages of grief that I don't even know how to explain, but I do teach them. <laughs> but it's different when you bury a child because it seems so out of order. Right. You know, your children are supposed to bury you. Right. And you think about all of the promises that are not going to be made or kept because all of the things that you were going to do together, you're no longer going to be able to do. You think about never being able to see him getting married. You think about never being able to see those grandchildren. You think about, he was just getting ready to be in the prime of his life. He had just gotten a job. He was getting ready to be doing what he wanted to do, you know, finally, because he went back to school to do some more stuff and graduated. And, and then he has this accident. And it's, uh, it's like my mind was all over the place. I remember getting the call. I remember that night. I had just spoken to him at seven o'clock that night and talked to him. And we were getting ready for my birthday. My mm. birthday was in three days. What a night, what a nice last memory. Yeah, I mean, it was so good because he was over a good friend's house and putting up her ceiling fan and um, they were talking and laughing. And he told me, he said, I'll talk to you later, mom. I said, okay. And later never came. Because I get a call that same night at 11 o'clock from the police department. And they tell me that I need to hurry to a hospital in another state, that in another city, that my son is being taken to a trauma unit because he'd been in a really bad car accident. And that's all they really told me. I wanted to ask more questions, but I didn't because I didn't want to waste time. Right. I wanted to get there. Yeah. And I sit in that waiting room, Julie and waiting for what seemed to be like eternity. It was only 30 minutes, but you know, it seemed like forever before I could get back to see him. And when I get back and he's on life support, my heart sinks. All of his vitals were good. His vitals were absolutely good. He was warm to touch. I touched him, I held him, I sang with him to him. And, you know, we talked and it was that next day when they said, we got one more test to run. He's had a really bad hit on his brain and we got to see 
if his brain is functioning, do you want to step out of the room? I said, no. And they ran that test. I was in the room along with, with his dad, my children, and my sister. And they ran that test. And when they looked back at me and they said, I'm sorry, Byron is gone. His brain had dislocated from the stem. And there was no coming back from that. So he had no brain function at all, none. And I couldn't say anything. I just could not say anything. Well, what is there to say? I mean, I wanted to cry. I cried little tears. I cried big tears, but they were like silent tears, if that makes any sense. There was no noise behind them. And I was just, I was just so, you know, done. Like, why? You know? What is the meaning behind this? Then losing my son to prison, what is the meaning behind this? But Julie, let me tell you something. I know now that everything has a meaning because I have taken everything, every traumatic event, everything that has happened to me in my life to this point, and I am using it to help others. So all right. things really do work together for good. I am truly a witness to that. And if I could sit back and I could have a pity party from now until the day I live this earth, because those things happened to me, but they didn't really happen to me. They happened for me. And I am using them Perspective. for the good. Perspective is everything. Mm -hmm. Perspective is our salvation, really. It really is. I mean, Julie, and I have a voice. I mean, you know, is it you can it the whole is a glass half full or half empty? Exactly. It's it's how you it's choose choice. to look at it. It's our choice and it's how you choose to look at it. And I choose to look at it as the grass being full and running over because that's where I am at this stage of my life. I'm going to live every day, every day to the fullest. Every day. There's no going back. There's no going back to that timid you know, person that I was, that person who lost her voice, the person who lost her confidence, the person who lost all those things that make her who she is. There's no going back to that. I'm going forward. I'm bold. I'm beautiful. I'm wonderfully made. And I am here to tell the world that you can be that way too. And the only person stopping you is you. That's for sure. Now I want to ask a little more about a mother whose child goes to prison. Is that kind of like a death? It is, Julie, you and, go through. And also, also like parents who have their kids who are mentally ill and can't function in society, but they're still alive. So they're like trapped in this prison. And so it's sort of like a death. And, and it, I'm just wondering, is it any, is it? So here's how, the difference, how, how, compa how comparable is it? it let, me, let me share with you this. So here's right. the difference. So it's still grief. 
Right. Grief you is grief. You still grieve. You still go through those stages of grief. And you have all these lo secondary losses, even though they're still alive. But, but there's it's still the grief. relationship. It's just is... like a divorce. A divorce is still grief. Um, a, a someone, a losing someone to the prison system is still grief. Having that terminally terminal child or that child who made up a term but who cannot function for themselves there is still some grief but they are still here they're still here when you lose someone and they're no longer here in this space that's a different type of grieving experience so you that know? was where i'm going so is it actually maybe even harder when they're still alive because when, they're, is because when they're dead because, because there's closure so it is because, and I'll compare it to my divorce. So, because every time you see that person, you it's, have, it's you already have is. some, you already have some type of guilt anyway. You already have some things going on in your head anyway, about what happened in the situation, what you could have done better. And, and none of this really, you couldn't have done anything better. You couldn't have, you, you, you know, none of that really matters. Yeah, we but don't in have, your we don't head. Have but in your head, I could have done this. I could have done that. I should have done this. I should have done that. And every time you see that person or are met with that situation, those things resurface. So They're the not wounds gone. never heals. They're still, and, that, and so you, you, you have to learn how to live beyond it. What does that learn mean? Learn to live beyond it. And this is what that means for me. And this is what that means for me. You have to know for yourself and in yourself that you're okay. Because if you don't work on yourself and get, a, get to the place where you're okay, every time that happens, you'll go back to that space or to that hole where you were not okay. That's why you do those things to help you get okay. If you need counseling, get it. Get your community. Get you somebody you can talk to. Do whatever you need to do to make sure that you're okay. I can talk to my ex now and it doesn't bother me a bit. No matter what happened to me in that relationship, I can talk to him today. And what I have no ill feelings or anything about it because I got to that space where I'm okay. Yes, I prayed about it. Yes, I worked out all that. But honey, sometimes you just need to get you some help. And you can't do it by yourself most of the time. Get to your get to. Why your can't you do it by yourself? Okay. Because you you're the one with the problem. So you can't you can't see it clearly. You you can't you, you all you see is what you see. You know you see yourself with a problem. That's what you see. So how are you going to dig your way out of that? Now I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not saying it has to be done. But most of the time you need some help to get to where you need to be. And and it's a it's it's a everyday thing. It's not something that you work on and forget it. You learn, you learn things and you learn um, ways to help you go through life and grow through life and live on the other side of it and to be a better you, you know? It's like becoming another person. <laughs> Evolving. Yeah. Wow. And you know, Julie, and you know, we we can we can choose to we can choose to live in the state we're in and be pitiful and stay where we are, or we can choose to work on ourselves and grow and glow in this world and be a better person. It's all up to us. 
to do those things. Yep, and we don't have to raise our hand to get permission. Nobody's going to give it to us. No, In it's fact, our choice. We have free will. We have a choice. We, we can make will. the choice or we cannot make the choice. Nobody's going to force you to do it. And sometimes it involves letting go of people because they actually, people don't always want people to change. I let go of so many people in my life. And not only because they like seeing me in my pitiful state, but also because I put up so many boundaries once I got myself right. Because like, I don't, I'm not around, I don't be around negative people anymore. I don't do those things. Okay. I don't, I don't bring that into my space. And if I'm around a group of people and they start bashing people or talking about people or doing those types of things, Julie, I just walk away. I just, that's just not a part of who I am anymore. And there's a difference between a negative person and a person who is experiencing negativity. Exactly. Having, having a hard day. It is. And, and you know that difference. But, so it's the it's, pattern of people that just like to just talk bad just, about just people. Just talk bad and just be mean and hateful and spiteful. You know, just those type of people. I don't do that. I mean, we all have bad days, Julie. We know who we know. We, if you've been around a person long enough, you know when they're experiencing a bad day. You know that person, <laughs> you know. We all have bad days. But I'm talking about people who are just mean just to be mean. People who are just negative, just to be negative, you know, the world's going to burn up tomorrow and everybody's going to die, you know, that type of person, you know, like, I just don't have time for that in my life. Yeah. I don't, because that's not a part of abundance. I'm living an abundant life now, and that's not a part of it. So I don't have time for that. Now, what about when you were in that marriage and, and hanging on by your fingernails, it sounds like. What from your childhood, what strength did you have that helped you get through that? You know, even though I saw a whole lot of unnecessary submissiveness when I was growing up, I still saw strength. And I saw my mother hold on. And I said, I can do this. I can do this. I can, I can do this. I can hold on and I can do this. But even then you get to a place where the rope is breaking and it's time to let go. And when you get to that point, there's nothing to do but let go. It was it was just, I remember the day that I decided it was over. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I remember getting down on my knees that night and praying and saying, God, I know this marriage is done. I said, but I don't have, because at that time, I was just, I was like a little feeble baby. I said, I don't have the strength to end it. I don't have the strength. I said, but if this marriage is done, I need it to be done. And that very next morning, when he came in from work, he came up the stairs into the bedroom as I was cleaning the bedroom. And he said to me, I'm moving out. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. And I remember sitting 
by the side of the bed, just falling down by the side of the bed, crying. But there were there were tears of relief. You know, I was just relieved. I think I think that was you were released. I was relieved that I was getting ready to be a better person. I was relieved that I didn't have to try to fight that fight that I wasn't supposed to be fighting anyway. I didn't have to try to fight that fight anymore. I was relieved that I was going to be getting my energy back. I was relieved that I was going to be getting me back. I was relieved that that little bit of strength that I had in that little moment of time was there so that I could say those things and do those things that I needed done so that this marriage could end. And I was relieved that I was not going to have to live like that anymore. You were released from a kind of bondage, really, huh? It was, it was, and, and it was self-inflicted. It was because that was that was going to be my question in this whole scenario of everything. What, who, what really was the villain? But I don't know that there was a villain. I just know that I got married because I wanted to get married. Not that I felt like it was time for me to get married. Not that, and it was partly because I needed to be needed, and I wanted to to be a part of something, and I knew that I could be a part of something in a marriage. So I thought. Well, and you were, and you were needed by your kids and you were part of a family. It's just that it wasn't serving you. It wasn't, and it wasn't serving them either. It wasn't serving them either. Kids are not, not crazy. They know what's going on in a marriage. Kids know what's going on. You don't. And, and, you know, so no need to try to hide it from them. If they want to talk, you need to talk to them. They know what's going on in a marriage, but I did them more harm than good by staying in this marriage longer than I should have. So, and, so and, I'm, and I'm not advocating for divorce, but if you're in a marriage where you know for a fact there's some type of whatever type of abuse is in, and no, and he wasn't willing to get any help, he wouldn't seek counseling with me, you know, and, and it's not going to work, then no. leave. One side, then leave, yeah. then leave. Because, and don't say I'm staying in it for the children, because you're staying in it and you're hurting the children. You need to go. So the people who think that they need to stay in it for the children or until the children get to a certain age so they can understand more, what do you say to them? I say that you're going to spend more time helping your children with trauma that they shouldn't have to deal with if, they, if you stay um, unnecessary trauma. Get out, give your children a beautiful life so that they don't have to deal with those things that you have to, you had to deal with so that you don't have to spend time taking them to therapists and helping them get their lives back on track so that they don't have to go through those things and serve yourself. Know that you are worthy and that you don't have to stay where you're not wanted, where you don't feel like you're loved. Where, where, where you know that you're not supposed to be. Know that. Don't let anybody tell you anything any different. Well, they're going to tell you stuff and listen to what your knowing knows. Well, yeah, well, what I mean when I say don't let them tell you any different, don't 
believe, don't let that, what they're saying be the way that you live your life. Right. You know, you got to do what you know is right for you and your children. You, nobody knows that but you. Those children were given to you to raise. Those children were given to you. And you got to do what you know is right for you and your children. Now, when I worked for a short time in a battered women's shelter, and I would get these crisis calls from these women, and they would be like, and, you know, we don't tell them what to do, but we suggest, you know, we have space. And they're like, but, you know, I worked hard for this house and all these belongings. How am I going to walk away from all of this? Walk away from that or walk, walk away from, for your life. Let's say that. Because we don't never know what abuse will turn into. We well, don't we, know. Well, what we do know is it escalates. It escalates, exactly. But we don't know how, how far that, that escalates to go. And, and that was uh, part but, of but, but what I'm saying, Julie, is that stuff, stuff can be gotten again. Right. They're material I mean, goods. don't base your life on stuff. Right. You're worth more than stuff. Right. You know, that's somebody who really doesn't, you know what I told you, I had to get to that place where I really had to learn how to live. They really don't know how to live yet. Mm -hmm. So in these last few minutes, what's the best way for people to live, especially if they're coming out of like this low worth belief system to crack the code out of that system maybe without hit, hitting rock bottom but you gotta want it well, that's I the first thing it. i want to say you gotta want it i mean really want it to your core you have got to want it that's the first thing i would say and then wanting it and recognizing that you want it and that you need it you got to get you some help You've already seen that you can't do this alone. You've been through years and years of trying to figure this thing out. And you've seen that you can't do this alone. And what does so help get, look like? The, oh, therapy. If you need therapy, get it. If you need community, get you some community. Get you somebody you can talk to on a regular basis. Somebody you can confide in. Somebody you know you can confide in. Talk to that person. On, don't be so proud until you won't do those things to fix you. You got to want it. And you got to want to live better. You got, you got to know that there's more to life than just existing. We're here to live, not mm. to exist. We all can make an impact on this beautiful world. And you got to want it. You got to really want it. How do you get a person? Because especially like, you know, when you fall into, when you're in depression, it's really hard to have hope and to want. So how do you, you have any suggestions for breaking that code? I can remember when I was in depression um, and it was not me that got me out. It was the other things that I had to care for mm. that helped me walk out of that depression. Mm. I'm not sure how someone else will break that code. I don't know. But I do know for me, it was my children. For me, it was my parents. For me, and still not looking to looking at me, knowing that I needed help. But I knew that there was someone else who needed me. Mm -hmm. That's what did it for me. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So you got to want it. You got to get help. Anything else? And after you get that help, you got to put those things that you learn. You got to put them into practice. You implement. You got to put them into practice, Julie. You got to put them it into practice. It doesn't do you any just, good look. understanding. Right. You can't just you can't just go get some help and then come home and sit back and we're like, well, I went to the therapist. Oh, I did my part. What? No, that's not wanting it. You don't really want it at that point. You got to really want it. You got to put those things into practice and you got to work on them daily. You got to work on them daily. And Julie, I do affirmations. I have affirmations pinned on mirrors. I do affirmations. And every morning on my mirror is you are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are worthy. You matter. You know, and I say those things to me, to myself. And I, I have them not just that, uh, on the mirror, but throughout the house. Because I'm not the only one in the house. So guess what? It's serving a purpose for farther beyond me. You know, you are, you are wonderful. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You matter. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you are loved. You know, and well, you, you, which of us Liz, actually heard those words growing up? Maybe, maybe we, we were were or weren't treated that way but do but people don't usually hear those words they don't and i didn't i didn't even though they may have been um like underneath some things that were done like at such a young age you don't realize that yeah it's just it's all, all assumed it's assumed that you already know that so we're not gonna we're not going to say it, but you, yeah. they need, it needs to be said. You need to tell your children all the time, I love you. You need to tell people, I love you. You know, you need to say you matter. You know, you have a spot, you have a place in this world. You need to let people know that. I, I really do believe that if we practice more real love, more real concern, more empathy, I really do believe that this world will be a much, much better place. I really do. There is such potential. So much potential. The, the human, the capacity, the human capacity for compassion and love is so great. And so the potential for, for changing things is there. It is. It is. It's not but like we have it's got like to want to do it. But you know what, Julie, I've seen so much self-centeredness in this world until you know, people are so um, consumed with self and what they want that they really have taken a back seat to what other people might need or how they can serve or help somebody else. And it's really sad. So isn't this though part of the problem, especially as women who are socialized into helping others at their own expense, that a lot of us can feel like we're being selfish to do our own self-care. Yeah, and some women have had to be retrained because they think that, you know, they, that they, they don't have to spend time on themselves they, or that it's wrong, mm -hmm. that it's wrong for me to take myself out to eat. It's wrong for me to have a mani-pedi. It's wrong for me to buy myself flowers. It's wrong for me to just go shopping or just spend time with myself. It's wrong for me to take a trip, you know? That has been, you know, ingrained in as a part of us so much until we have to retrain ourselves and let us know that we matter. It's okay for us to do those things. It's okay for us to love ourselves because, Julie, how can you truly love someone else if you don't love yourself and don't know the meaning 
of loving yourself? Well, that is a good question. And I think everybody knows the answer. <laughs> you got to love yourself. You got to do it. So let's end on that beautiful note. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Ms. Bernita. This has been so illuminating. And I'm so happy for you that you survived that COVID and you have survived all of these huge losses in your life and difficulties to and, and have come out a 2.0 version that nothing is going to stop you now not a thing <laughs> all right bye, -bye. bye hey there the value that you got from this today take it into your heart add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one -on -one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes. Thank you.